Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where we explore today's digital revolution by speaking with business executives and thought leaders who are changing how the world lives, works, plays, learns, and dreams. Our guest today is Charles Araujo, industry analyst, author, and speaker. Charles helps executives and organizations thrive in this digital age. Charles is the author of a number of books, including The Quantum Age of IT, The Ecosystem Advantage, and Performance-Driven IT. And because a lot of the work that Charles does focuses on people and their fast-changing roles and responsibilities in this crazy digital world, Charles's monthly episodes here on Cloud Wars Live will come under the handle of Araujo on Transformation. Charlie, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here on Cloud Wars Live. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited about the opportunity to have these kind of continuous ongoing chats because this is just meaty stuff and you can, ever, you can never get to it in these little sound bites. So this is going to be great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Charlie, since it's your first episode here, tell everybody a little bit about what's top of mind for you and the sort of work that you're doing and how that ties into this whole notion of transformation. So yeah, if you don't mind, it's going to be a little bit of a longish story, but I'll, I'll try to condense it as much as I can. But I think it's, okay. it's, it's relevant for, I think, a lot of the people watching and listening. So at, at my core, I'm an IT guy. I, I ran technical operations for about a billion dollar healthcare firm 20 some odd years ago, and then spent most of my career as a consultant, a, sort of a right hand guy to executives that were engaged in these large scale transformational programs. And so I would basically run them for them or kind of be by their side leading them. And it's so a lot of technical work in the early days, but spent a lot of that time on things like organizational design, operational optimization, process improvement, that sort of thing. And, and I started focusing on IT transformation about you know, nine, 10 years ago now. And I was like this crazy preacher on the sidewalk going, you must transform. Because I saw that the world of IT was changing dramatically and IT leaders were struggling to adapt to it. And so uh, uh, the IT leaders, the executives I was working with at the time sort of said, okay, we get it but what's happening? What's coming? And I didn't have a great answer. So that's what actually, I, I end up coining this term, the quantum age of IT, whether it was a good term or not. But I threw up this website and this publisher reached out to me and said, you know, this is interesting stuff. Have you ever thought of writing a book? Ha ha ha, how hard could that be, right? Uh, so a year and a half later, I finally had this book. It was published. And the very first uh, call I got was an invitation to speak at, at a conference in Amsterdam. And so suddenly I'm traveling around the world talking about the future of IT. And I ended up at a, at a uh, doing a speaking tour through New Zealand, where one of the events I was speaking at was something called the Digital Disruption Conference, or that I was invited to speak to. And unique for me at the time, it was not an IT audience. It was sort of like TED Talks for New Zealand, and it was the business elite of Auckland. And so I, I, it caused me to step back and ask how these forces that I've been researching and writing about and talking about how they were actually affecting the broader world outside of IT. And so that's what caused me to focus on what we now call digital transformation. But really at the time, it was just sort of this light bulb going off for me that this was a new time and space in which the fundamental ways that organizations were structured, managed, and led were changing, that it was underpinned or enabled by all this technology, but that it was really about these fundamental business transformations that were occurring. And so that's been what I'm working on for the last five years. And most recently, what that's led me to, as I've continued to sort of peel this onion, is two big recognitions, right? The first is that there's this shift in power and focus um, away from the organization as kind of the central organizing construct into this idea of, a, of centering everything on the customer experience. And then the second is this idea that we're reaching this new era in which technology is now able to automate a lot of things that humans had to do 
and and there's a whole I have a whole tirade about the industrial age, which I won't get into right now. But but that's leading us to this new point in time um, from you know that that I've really been focusing on this idea that in this very near future, it's in fact going to be our humanness and not maybe our technology skills that are the drivers of our personal differentiation and the ability to unleash things like creativity, imagination, empathy are going to be key. And so from a leadership perspective, how do we do that? And so that's really under the, still under the broad banner of digital transformation. These are the pieces that I'm really starting to dig into these days. Well, Charlie, you know, one of the things that I was drawn to when I first heard about your work and took a look into it and in our initial conversation was this, your ability to understand very deeply all the different facets of technology, but to bring that around to the human point of view. And I want to ask you about a, a quote that you have featured prominently on your website. And the quote says, embracing your humanness is the key to transforming your life, reshaping your organization, and thriving in a technology-driven world. Tell us what you mean by that. Oh, see, I love it. You're going to give me a chance to get into my tirade. So, so here's the deal. Throughout the industrial age, and I've spent a lot of research, in fact, that started, um, I've done a lot of research, it started with my first book about sort of how all of this that we just know to be, how the world works, how it, how it came to be. And throughout the industrial age, it was all about producing a mass product for a mass market. And so our entire, almost everything we know about how organizations are, are, you know, are structured, managed, and led is driven by this idea. And so our hierarchical models, the, the, our supply chains, all of this was built around this idea. And during that, those early days, the industrial barons of the time, what they really needed were robots. They needed this ability to have something done repeatedly, consistently, you know, reliably, they didn't have robots. And so what did they do? They created them. They created them out of us humans. They, they literally created societal structures, educational models, which trained us to show up on time every day repeatedly and do the same dang thing over and over and over again. And so while even more recently there's been talk about you know, creativity and innovation, if you really look at how organizations are structured and how we manage people, we beat that out of us, right? It, it, it has literally been, it's like, yeah, we want you to be creative, but don't break the rules, you know, show up, follow this process, do exactly these seven steps. And so the big message that I have is that as that starts shifting, as we, as the robots, so to speak, come back for their jobs, right? We can now automate anything that we can reduce to an algorithm or will be able to do that very soon. Then suddenly these very human characteristics that we're all built with, that we're all born with, suddenly, but that we've repressed, now become the drivers of value, of differentiation, because those are the things that a computer either can't do or we frankly don't want them to do. And so th this idea of creativity, imagination, empathy, this ability to unleash this innate humanness and not hide it, not stick it in a drawer, I think is going to become the great differentiator, ironic as that may sound, the great differentiator as we step into this future. So, Charlie, it's a, it's a beautiful thought and idea, but for some leaders, some organizations, some cultures, it could be quite, uh, quite a challenge, you know, pretty scary, maybe even a little bit threatening. What do leaders have to do to make that vision come alive? Do you practice an understatement? Because that may be one of the biggest understatements that I've heard in a while. Yeah, no, this is a massive, massive challenge. Um, and, and not, here, here's what's interesting and why I think it's actually such a great challenge is that I spend a lot of my time working with enterprise executives, um, in a bunch of different formally and informally. And, and there's not a one that I've talked to in the last at least four or five years that doesn't get this. They, they understand it intrinsically. 
but to your point, there's so much rigidity and structure, like the, almost like um, calcium built-ups, right? That I used to describe it as the rust on organization. That that trying to move it is really, really difficult. Um, it, it, it actually, not to give myself too much of a plug here, but it's why I actually launched this new digital journal called Your Digital Future, and it's specifically aimed at answering this question. How do digital era leaders, as I'm calling them, any, anyone who is willing to step into this bright, bold future and try to figure out a new way of working, what can they do? And part of it's understanding what's happening. I mean, knowledge is, is valuable. It's one thing to sort of intrinsically get this. It's another thing to start deconstructing all the moving parts and pieces and exactly what's happening. So I think education is critical. Um, and, and then the next part is how do you start putting this into practice? And fundamentally, it's, it, it is my core because it's about organizational change and personal transformation. And that, that's what it's going to take. So as a leader, the most important thing you can do is be honest with your employees, first and foremost. Tell them that A, this big stuff is happening. You need to figure it out. You need to be on board. And oh, by the way, I don't have all the answers. This isn't about me telling you what to do. This is about you need to participate in your own future, right? We have to have these honest conversations where we're just putting it all on the, on the table. But then secondly, I think leading by example, I'm a huge fan of servant leadership concepts, this idea of asking yourself as a leader, how can you help your team get through this? Because it is going to be scary. And, and when we get scared as humans, fight and flight responses kick in. There's all of this stuff. I, I just wrote a piece about why automation fails, and it has to do with the fact that we have to create space in organizations for them to have a safe path so it doesn't feel like it's their destruction, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of these kinds of issues about really approaching this and understanding what the ramifications are, because you walk in and go, hey guys, great job, great idea, great news, we just found this new technology, it's gonna automate 70% of everything you do. That just means 70% of them go, I don't have a job, right? And if you haven't thought through those ramifications and done it with intent, then you're going to lose everybody. And, and then you're going to wake up three years later going, why did we just spend $100 million on this project and nothing got better? And that's what we see a lot of. So I think that's the kind of, it, it's, it's starting to get into this process and recognizing just how big it is. So Charlie, on the one hand, you know, so you've just described the internal challenge and the external challenge, it's, you know, in some ways external and in some ways existential of companies today did the same thing over and over and over. And what they're finding now is, that the customer experience moves to the top of the list of their priorities. Again, relatively easy to say, pretty hard to do. How do you tie your point there about, you know, the need inside to be honest and help people see that path toward a blend of automation and creativity, and then put that in the service of this customer experience that, you know, has been the center of a lot of what you're writing about these days. Well, I think it's, it's, it's very difficult for many organizations. So, so sort of the same thing that we need to start by stepping back and saying, what is the, the core essence of this, right? And the, the, the most important thing about this to understand is that the customer experience is not synonymous with the buying experience, which is what most people tend to translate it as. Um, I wrote an entire article about um, a, a fitness company, a gym that basically sort of blew this in my opinion, because they were really great at the front end of this process, but they've lost sight of the fact that my customer journey is this massively long, really intertwined, really complex thing. And they were focused on this one piece of it. It's also part of the problem with digital transformation efforts in general, actually. And so I think it's first understanding that. But then secondarily, it's about recognizing that this does represent a fundamental shift. I, I actually am 
I've coined a term and I'm out there kind of trying to pitch this called the digital experience supply chain. And the, the basic premise being that in the industrial age, because we were selling a mass product to a mass market and the driver of value was therefore our ability to optimize that delivery, that that's, we, we organized our entire organization and our technology, almost all the technology we've ever deployed in the enterprise is all around that optimization. And so when you start thinking about the customer experience, you realize that it flips this whole thing upside down because now suddenly the customer is at the center of this because they're the ones that are in control, right? We have more as consumers. We're all customers. We're all consumers. We have more information at, you know, available to us now than ever before. And there's no way any company can pull the wool over our eyes between reviews, being able to understand exactly yeah. where their product was sourced, how it's made. This idea of secrecy in organizations is almost, you know, a joke today. Yes. And so when, when that happens, well, how do we start transforming our entire business model around it and our operating model around it? And then ultimately, how we actually organize and manage work in order to support those new operating models, which then support the new business models. And then, by the way, the customer experience itself, customer expectations are in a continual state of change because once they get a little taste of that control and power, I want more of it. I want the next company to treat me even better. Expectations are you know, this arms race now. And so... It is a, a really fundamental shift and why, by the way, going all the way back to the first one, why having these honest conversations with your employees as a leader are critical because this idea, this, this is no resetting this to get to some new normal. It's going to be this continual state of transformation, which means you need your team not worried about, am I going to have a job, but continually worried about how they're going to continually transform and innovate. Yeah. And with a common set of objectives and goals, or at least what everybody's seeing what the same target is, right? And that is, you know, grow, dazzle, delight, engage, you know, those customers in ways that the customers maybe never thought possible and the people inside the company didn't think possible. And that it's okay, you know, to hit, correct, you know, uh, move along quickly, but, you know, learn as we go, keep that, that North Star, though, focused on the customer where, you know, Charlie, I think it's funny. You hear CEOs in every sort of industry talking about this. And some of them, them is they say, well, you know, our number one priority is customer experience. But then you hear what they talk about or how they talk about it. It's like, okay, philosophically, you got it. Executionally, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. So I think it's good that, you know, these are out there. And I loved your term about what did you call it? The digital experience supply chain. You know, very, very well said. And I, I hope that companies will jump on this. Uh, pretty quickly, because as you said, as important as the physical supply chains were to get us sort of to this point, the next huge leg of the journey is going to be about some an entirely different sort of supply chain. So I, I hope your idea catches on there. Well, thank you. Me too. I, you know, but and really what I hope is that people sort of get the kind of underlying concept. And, and if I can boil it down, it's that A, the customer is at the center of everything. And, and by the way, I should caveat, this, what makes it even harder, this isn't a um, you know, a revolution where we're throwing out the old. This is an evolution because the price of admission is still that you have all of the industrial age stuff nailed, right? I mean, I use Amazon and Walmart as an example, right? Walmart was the industrial age masterpiece, right? They built the world's most amazing supply chain and they should have been unassailable. But what Amazon has brought to the table is this transformation of the customer experience. But what you don't want to lose sight of in that conversation is that doesn't mean they didn't have a world-class supply chain. They do. They absolutely do. In fact, their ability to execute against, because that's the other thing I think that people miss, is that when you start talking about the customer experience, because it becomes so central and so necessary, you have to execute and you have to execute 
flawlessly. So, you know, I consult with or advise, I guess I should say, a lot of technology companies and some of them that have been from the process management space, kind of the historical domain of Lean and Six Sigma. And they would, they kind of like would ask me lamenting. It's like, are we even relevant? I go, no, 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 you're, you're wildly relevant because this is so critical. There's zero gap for failing on this, but we have to couch it in the terms of it's not about driving optimization as our first order value. Mm -hmm. It's now about driving a differentiated and sustainable customer experience as first order value. And then optimizing becomes a secondary value. And that's the shift that I think to your point, a lot of organizations are going to really struggle with because it's just, that's not how the large industrial age enterprise was organized. And so that's the shift that's going to have to happen. And Sean, the one last point on that, it's, I think also, as you've mentioned, and it's so vital, I think, for executives and organizations to understand is when they optimize for that experience, what they have to do is, is optimize it with a sense of humility and flexibility, because once you sort of get to that, the customer's impressions are going to change. And they could very likely say, well, that was great, but I also want this and I want that and I want to be able to pick and choose. And, you know, I don't think either of us in our personal lives or lots of other people sit back and say, well, I'd really like to do that, but that would be difficult for the company I buy from to do. So I won't pursue what I really want. I mean, <laughs> so all of those things. And as you said, it is not a fixed goal. It's not an end of journey. It's a constant, uh, it's a constant exploration. And that, that ability to be tied in intimately with what people want, what they think, you know, where the customers are headed. Without that, uh, you know, the greatest automation and optimization in the world isn't going to help. Well, and what's fascinating about that is um, I actually just have had two personal experiences around this that I kind of illuminate because I think people think about this and the first place they go is, well, how do I create this cool new, you know, website or a new app to transform the experience? And it doesn't actually have to be that complicated. And in fact, in most cases, it doesn't even have to be customer facing in the, the way we might think about it. It has more to do with policy and how that policy gets instantiated into the employee facing systems, right? From both the process and structural model. Um, two couple of good examples, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name brands and if that's a, a problem, you let me know. But, you know, we, um, we bought these uh, chairs through West Elm and we loved them. They're really cool chairs. And going to my first point about execution, we ordered six chairs, um, not inexpensive by any stretch. And they said it was going to take four months because they were made somewhere offshore and sent it. So, and, and like that, to their credit, upfront told us like, okay, fine, we're waiting. Four months passes and they show up and they bring two of the chairs in the wrong color. And it's like, are you kidding me? So you couldn't execute on this. You, you made us wait four months and you couldn't nail it. Now, bad enough, but mistakes happen, right? I've been around long enough to know that mistakes happen. We get on, first of all, the guy who's delivering it has zero visibility, has no idea. So he, A, got no way to engage with us. So then we have to get on the phone and call. My wife is calling these people and their people are not empowered to do squat except give us like a little $50 gift card or something, right? So, so no empowerment. And then the process is no way to expedite. So now we have to get, wait, another three months for the replacement. And by the way, the replacement, one of those chairs was the wrong color. So they failed to execute a second time, right? And, and the issue is it's, just, it's a discontinuity in their underlying systems, right? All they had to do is execute on this and then find a way to elevate once they've screwed up. And that's where they fail. Now, another example, my wife ordered a very expensive flower set from this company, and I would, I would name them positively, except I don't know their name. Um, and they came and the flowers were very lackluster and she was very disappointed. And so she called and sent them a picture and on the spot, 
that agent refunded the or gave us a credit for the entire amount. And what turned what could have been a horribly bad experience into an extremely positive one. And that had nothing to do other than the fact that she was empowered to literally refund that entire sale instantly. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it created this whole environment where it's like they got the benefit of the doubt. And what that, what that tells me is that company understands its lifetime value of that customer journey. Right, because I'm now here, and I, I I'm going to give you for the show notes their company because they should get the plug on this. Right, telling that story positively, yeah. and 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 I think this is where organizations really sort of miss this, and where why it's going to be so hard because this isn't just about some new technology; it's about reordering the way you do business. Well, on that uh, not so subtle note, there, Charlie, that sounds like a great place. I think you're after a terrific start here with. Uh, Araujo on Transformation with Cloud Wars Live. Thanks a million, Charlie. It's a great introduction, good first sort of table setter, lots of interesting themes and ideas that we'll dig into on future episodes. So thanks a million for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. All right, and thanks to all of you folks out there for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live in the debut interview here with Charlie Araujo, who is a industry analyst, author, speaker, and he'll be back again next month to talk about Araujo on transformation. Thanks for being with us.